This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. All right, welcome back. It's Mike Smith and for Simi. Pressure building now, I think, on the John Horgan government here to do something about this escalating job action by unionized bus drivers and mechanics in Metro Vancouver. The Simi Sarah Show yesterday, Simi broke the news. Bus services throughout the region set to be impacted by transit job action. The union and the company confirming today that's exactly what's expected today. We've already seen those dozens of sail, uh, sea bus sailings canceled. That's affecting people, of course, mostly on the North Shore. But here we go now in the rest of the region with bus service being impacted. So here's your hot question today. As the disruption increases, should the John Horgan NDP government step in, find a resolution, perhaps force an end to the strike, or should they stay out of it for now? Now, would you say yes, the government should get in there, flex their muscles, put an end to this right now, nip it in the bud? Or would you say no, the government should keep out of it and stay away here's how you can vote on this today at cknw on twitter you'll find the hot question there at cknw on twitter give me a follow while you are there please at mike smith news on twitter smith spelled with a y s m y t h mike smith news on twitter i'll retweet the hot question of the day Phone me on the buzz line in this one today, especially if your bus service has been affected. If your bus is late or doesn't show up today, call me. 604-331-BUZZ is the number. 604-331-2899. Lots of focus on labor unrest around the province. Of course, we got the transit dispute going on in Metro Vancouver today, impacting bus service in the region but check out what's going on in Saanich near Victoria where a strike by school support workers has shut down the school system now for 10 straight days so kids out of class for two weeks as unionized teachers refused to cross the picket line for support workers there in the system that's a lot of school to miss there is some concern that this type of strike action could spread to other school districts the school district says they're offering the union a fair raise Uh, the union does not agree Let's check in now with the mom whose a, a daughter has been impacted by this dispute. Tara Hool, uh, you may have read her very fine editorials in the Vancouver Sun in the past, and I'm very pleased to welcome her. Hiya, Tara. Hello. How are you doing, Mike? I, I'm great. Thanks a lot for coming on. Tell me about your daughter. What grade is she in? She is in grade 12. Okay, that's a big one, right? That's the big one when you're, you're, you, need, you need to get your, make sure you're in class and you're getting good marks. Tell, tell yeah. me tell me about your concern now with uh, this strike and your daughter out of class. Right. Well, it's actually, um, it's been a very stressful emo- um, time for all of us, obviously, as you can well imagine. Um, yeah. Emotionally, mentally, as well as physically, it's just been an a incredible toll. This is the period where kids are just trying to line up some, you know, some post-secondary options in terms of filling out applications, making sure that all of their credits are available for graduation. Um, so it's a huge, it's a huge deal for the students. And, um, and in particular, I mean, my daughter is no exception to that. So, um, you know, along with her friends, I mean, they're just really, you know, kind of held in limbo here, just kind of waiting for the grown-ups to um, make up their minds in terms of how they're going to be doing while they, while they have no power or control over what, they're, what, what they should be doing. Okay, I, under, I understand that you've had enough. And tell me what you're going to do now with your daughter. Right. So we were transferring out of the district. Um, wow. uh, this has been something that um, has um, it, it's it's never an ideal situation. Um, this is I'm following basically just supporting um, her wishes in terms of what she'd like to do, and she has made her um, education and making sure she graduates on time um, her number one priority this year. Which means that she'll have to say goodbye to a lot of um, of the same classmates that she's had in this throughout the same schools um, over the number of of, of years. 
But um, her bigger priority is just making sure that um, she can graduate on time, have enough credits, as well as get on with um, whatever um, auditions that she may have to do in, um, following up next summer. So she's made a very, I think, a very mature decision um, and has decided that maybe she'll just hop over to another school district where they have been very accommodating and very welcoming to um, have her complete her year there. Okay, I assume you're going to go to the Victoria School District then? That is correct, yeah. Okay, is that a difficult thing to do, to switch into another school district sort of mid-year? Yes, it is. It's incredibly uh, complex. Um, you have to be of the right temperament to do that, um, as well as being, you know, um, focused in terms of what your priorities are. And for her, it's academics. You know, she wants to make sure that um, she gets all of her classes done on time. So, um, and she's not just the only one. I mean, some of her friends are now also looking at doing the same thing, whether they, you know, transfer into with their private school or to another public school, because um, again, their priority, they're very focused in terms of how they want to end up the year and. Um, this is the only choice that they have. Um, if, especially as a French immersion student, um, your only options really to do that is to, you can't do it online, um, you can't do it you know, you know, through, um, any, anywhere else, so you have to just look at other options, and right now that's it. What kind of uh, commute will you have? Will you have to travel farther to go to class now if she's able to transfer into another school district? Yes, we'll be looking at probably doubling our time in terms of getting her back and forth to school. Um, there's a couple other kids in our area that also attend the same school, so hopefully we'll be able to do some carpooling. But um, this is just, rel- you know, it's, it's reflective in terms of what parents do in order to accommodate what their kids are doing for school. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really something that I, for the life of me, can't understand why it is not being declared as an essential service because, there, you know, there is a mandate available that the government could be using in order to have that happen. Um, but it's there, there, you know, the kids are being ignored. <laughs> Ignored here, as far as I'm concerned. So we'll just have to, you know, fill the gaps like we've done before, uh, just to make sure that she's able to get what is required, you know, for her to finish her schooling on time. Okay, I'm speaking to Tara Hool. She's a mom in the Saanich School District. The schools there have been shut down by a support workers' strike for two weeks. You just heard her describe how her daughter is now going to switch school districts. Uh, she's in grade 12. She wants to go to university, I guess. Yeah, hopefully, or if yeah. it's even at a, at a college. I mean, um, she's looking at also having to complete some auditions in the in the summertime. So, having if if or whatever, if this strike goes much longer, uh, the concern, of course, is that now we've got the BCTF looking at maybe some action later on. But um, you know, regardless of all of that, the whole focus is trying to get her done so that she can you know continue on with her application process and through whatever needs to be done. You know, following her graduation. So, um, and as parents, we have no other their choice here um if 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 um you know the two sides can you know keep delaying this then we just have to go outside of our own area and make sure that she gets what she needs what a pain i mean what a this this is so inconvenient for parents never and of course the kids as well how do you feel about that you're being basically held hostage by this uh, labor dispute right i'm just beyond frustrated that once again i mean parents are being held you know they have no power for all of the money that's being poured into you know, education in this province, it's the second highest expenditure. Um, we still don't seem to get any further ahead in terms of you know, advocating to make sure that our kids receive you know, you know, the, the basics uh, in terms of you know, getting through the system you know, that, 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 is, you know, that is responsible for. So I think that maybe we need to start looking at other options under the public banner, which may not you know, be uh, something that we might not be including you know, some of these groups that are holding these kids hostage. I mean, and they have options in other jurisdictions. You know, in Alberta, you've got a, a whole host of different options under the public banner, so why can't they have them here in B.C.? Okay, do you have any other kids in the public school system there, or just your daughter affected here? Well, this is, uh, this, she's my youngest. My other one luckily graduated um, last year, but she yeah. had faced, you know, we had, like, this is the third one. We've had services withdrawn before. We've had a three-week strike a few years ago, um, which was greatly impacting their schooling. So um, it's not something that's, uh, you know, it doesn't make me feel good as a taxpayer to know that my dollars are being, you know, kind of squandered here in a system that's not working. And uh, I really do think that, um, the, you know, the ones that are in charge of the education here need to take a second look and really see what uh, parents want, because 
maybe there's a reason why in this province we have the highest enrollment in private schools and independent schools, so maybe we need to start looking at other options for parents that uh, is under the public banner because this is just completely unacceptable. Do you have concerns, Tara? As you mentioned, your kids have gone through a whole bunch of labour disputes over the years in the school system. What is your read on the kind of the the mood of the BC Teachers Federation? Because I, I think this dispute in Saanich right now with the school shut down for two weeks, maybe that's just a little preview, a little taste of things to come if we see some wider job action by the teachers or maybe other other support workers in other districts too. I absolutely agree with you, and that's sort of been our... um, Adam Sterling on CFAX this morning said exactly the same thing that you said too. Um, uh, To me, it's kind of a warm-up to what we're going to be seeing more of, and I guess, you know, the public needs to ask itself, is this what we want? I mean, we do not see this in any other jurisdiction in any other province as widely as we do here. Why does it always have to be in B.C.? So I, I, I just don't think that this is something that, for me personally, that I, you know, I'm not, I'm not taking sides in either, in, in either one here, but all I can say is as a consumer, of, as a person that's supporting these systems, you know, who's, who's advocating for me? Who's advocating for my child? And I don't see a lot of support either way from either side to do well, that. Well, what did you think of the... It was interesting to hear Premier John Horgan in the last few days kind of weigh in on this and encourage the union here, CUPE in this case, to accept the deal that, that's on the table. And I guess that's his prescription to end this thing. What did you think of him saying that? Do you think that was a good thing for him to say, or do you think he should take more, more aggressive action to kind of end this dispute that shut the schools down there for two weeks? Well, I mean, we've there, the, the district has been very clear in terms of that this this is this is as much as they can do, and I mean, you know, the union and QP and all the other groups, you know, a long time ago were involved with creating the provincial framework, and this is the stumbling block that um, the district is coming up against. And if for the union to now be saying that yes, we're going to still reject, you know, the most you know attractive, you know, um, you know deal that has been, you know, given to them, that it's apparently supposed to be the best one that has been offered anywhere else in the province. Um, I mean, for them to still say, no, that's not good enough, then I do believe that the province needs to step in and maybe look at, um, you know, declaring education as an essential service. There is legislation available for that through the, um, you know, the Minister of Labour. So at this point, I mean, I'm not a big fan of, you know, Big Brother coming in to swoop in and save the day. But if you're going to have two squabbling kids, you know, maybe the, you know, the bigger person needs to just sort of, you know, put some order in place and, and make them understand why that needs to be. Tara, thanks for coming on. Thanks for your time, Mike. I appreciate you, it. You bet. Thank you. That's Tara Houle. She is a mom in Saanich near Victoria, where the schools have been shut down for two weeks now by a support worker's strike. As you heard her describe there, her daughter is in grade 12. She's pulling her daughter out of that school system. They are going to try and register in a different school in a neighboring school district. Hey, let's talk about irresponsible dog owners now who don't pick up after their pets. There's nothing worse than dog crap around your neighborhood. If a dog owner fails to stoop and scoop, should they be penalized for that? What if you live in a condo unit or condo strata building? You got neighbors who don't pick up after their pets? If they refuse or they fail to pick up their dog's crap, should they be kicked out of that condo unit? A lot of other, a lot of condo stratas are now doing exactly that. Check this out. The 291 unit Affinity Strata Corporation in Burnaby, they've had enough of this crap, literally. They're bringing in Poo Prince Canada to launch their responsible pet program. Let's check in now with Gary Bradamore. He's the president of Poo Prince Canada. Hi, Gary. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm great. Thanks a lot for coming on. I've heard of this service before, and I know a lot of different stratas are starting to go in this direction. Tell me how this works with the dog DNA, how you catch these people who don't clean up after their pets. Correct. So Poo Prince has been around for about 10 years. Uh, We took it over here in Canada about three years ago now, and we've mostly been working with landlords across Canada. Um, It was last uh, last year that uh, we partnered with a company here in Toronto, uh, Lash Condo Law Firm, in order to create pet rules specifically for condominiums. Um, and in doing so, we wanted to do, to make sure that it is enforceable. 
and so we were able to come up with something that did not cost the condo corporation a cent. It made it mandatory, not voluntary, for everyone to participate and register their dog's DNA and pay the one-time $60 fee. So since then, uh, so once all of the pets are registered, it's a simple cheek swab, uh, which is a part of our kit, uh, goes into the property database. Uh, From there, heaven forbid, if somebody does not pick up after that, uh, we do have another kit. And, uh, you know, the property manager or maintenance crew staff, they're undoubtedly picking it up or cleaning it up in hallways or on the lawn or what have you. Um, They take a piece of that. Um, and put it in a bottle, send it down to our lab, and we can match identically what pet and owner it belongs to. Oh, oh, the DNA doesn't lie. (laughs) The DNA does does not lie. Now, the aim for our program is really not about the penalties or fines. It's really putting an accountability uh, component uh, together so that people will be responsible and pick up after their pets. So okay. as, as I mentioned, we, we aligned ourselves with Lash Condo Law Firm. They created all pet rules specifically for Ontario condominiums, all the notices, in order to make this a mandatory pet rule. From there, uh, we then reached out to CHOA, which is in Vancouver. You're familiar, obviously, as the Condominium Homeowners Association. And we consulted with them to determine how we could uh, take the same program we have in Ontario and, and use it in Vancouver. Um, and we were able to be successful to have the same type of program that we have in Ontario in, uh, in Vancouver. And we literally just launched this in Ontario in January, specifically uh, for condos, and in the summer, just past summer, uh, in Vancouver. Okay, how many strata buildings in Vancouver or Metro Vancouver are using the system now? Uh, we don't have many at the moment because it's only been the summer. So we have okay. roughly, I'm going to say, 50 to 75 that are going through the process as we speak. Wow. It takes, uh, it takes sometimes 30 to 60 days to go through that process in order okay. to make it a, a bylaw. Okay, let's say yeah. you catch someone. They're basically red-handed. Like, like we said, the DNA doesn't lie. So mm-hmm. you, you catch you catch a condo resident has not cleaned up after their pet. They've matched the DNA. So, you know, it's their dog's poop that you've, you've discovered. What is the potential yep. penalty for that, for that resident? So for uh, condos and stratas, it's different than landlords. So we do have properties that give literally a $500 fine on the landlord and uh, tenant side um, with stratas and, and uh, condos, you have to do it a little different. It's what they call a cost buildup. So you add, let's say, the, the waste kit of $90, you add the, um, the cleaning costs, the administration costs, and mailing costs, if you will, and you add that together and, and you have a penalty. Um, stratas and, and condos aren't allowed to make money on penalties, it's just to cover their costs. And you might have a penalty, let's say, between 150 to $250, depending on the costs associated to that particular strata. Okay, could you... Could a condo strata say pass a bylaw that yeah. if you get caught, if you get caught not picking up after your dog, you're out of here. We can kick you out of the condo. Uh, we've not uh, we've not put any or had any dialogue with any stratas or condos that have suggested that that's what they want to do. Okay. Um, we feel that just simply the the penalty. Uh, and to be honest with you, we don't really get a lot of waste kits once the program starts. People just pick up. It changes yeah. the entire culture in the building, and everyone just becomes responsible, okay, which is so really what the program's for. Right. There's an effective deterrent. Like, if people know, okay, my dog's DNA has been registered in the central database, so I better make darn sure I pick this poop up here because I'm going to get... I'm going to get caught. So I can see how that would be a deterrent. Is there any way for, let's say, uh, a sneaky or an irresponsible dog owner to kind of cheat the system? Like, could they send in, like, another dog's DNA or something? Uh, So in order for the proper chain of custody, if you will, of our program, um, no one can just take a kit and DNA their own dog without being in the accompaniment of either a property manager or a representative from our company. Oh, okay. You got to have a witness. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you, you get the DNA sample from the dog through a, did you say a, a saliva swab, like a cheek swab? You don't have to take like a, a poop sample of the dog to get the DNA. 
You are correct. Yes, it's just a simple yeah. cheek swab. You don't have to go running around behind your dog waiting for waste. No. Right. How it's, big uh, of a problem? Yeah. How big of a problem is this? I mean, I think this is a growing concern for a lot of people. I've heard from condo residents over the years who just tell me they're sick and tired of you know seeing dog crap around their places. Absolutely, it is. And in fact, there was just a recent poll this week in Vancouver that uh, suggested that the largest pet peeve at 73% of all people polled in Vancouver said that unscooped dog waste is their largest pet peeve. Wow. Uh, It's huge. We now have 8.2 million dogs uh, in uh, in Canada. Uh, 40% of our pet-friendly buildings have a dog. Uh, 72% of all millennials who rent own a dog in Canada. So you can't have this volume of pets in high-density communities such as condos and apartments without putting some accountability or measurements in place. And so this is just one way to do that. All right. What about the cost? You briefly went over the cost of this because housing is expensive at the best of times, especially in this city. So for people who are thinking like, well, this sounds like a pretty good idea, but how much would it cost, like, say, an individual resident? So it's $60. 60 it's one time. Okay. Yep, 60 bucks. That's All it. Right. Um, and that's a one-time lifetime, um, which, of course, we provide them additional benefits as well. But And it is transferable from one of our poop prints properties to another. How so did it you is guys... for the lifetime of the pet. How did you guys come up with this idea? Uh, to be honest, it, uh, I certainly didn't. Um, it is uh, a BioPet Laboratories out of Knoxville, Tennessee. is a bio-animal uh, genetics organization yeah. that uh, 10 years ago, uh, one of their scientists were fed up with dog waste in his particular building and, and, and hence came up with the program. I was here in Toronto uh, four years ago walking our dog in the neighborhood um, park, and uh, he's doing his business, and I'm picking it up, uh, but I noticed nobody else is. And it was just, you know, our park was just a mess. So I did some investigation, and I found the company, uh, Biopet Laboratories, and and so we we acquired the rights to uh, the Canadian uh, uh, distribution rights for Proof Friends Canada. Gary, thanks for coming on. Fantastic. Appreciate it, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you. Gary Bradamore, he is the president of Poo Prince Canada. They have partnered with the Affinity Strata Corporation in Burnaby. This is coming to a Strata Corporation near you. Let's talk about your commute now to and from work. A brand new survey out shows more Canadians now stressed out by their morning commute to the office. A lot of Canadians saying... They're stressed to the max before they even punch the clock, before you even start working. You're stressed out by your by your commute. Uh, the survey by Robert Half International, that's a international s- staffing firm. They asked Canadians about their commute. They found out that a large percentage of Canadians say they're stressed out from commutes. They say their commute is too long i'm telling you man a lot of people can relate to that around metro vancouver let's check in now with rob uh mike sheckman he's the regional manager for bc at robert half international hi mike hey mike thanks for having me on the show thanks for coming on let's talk about your findings so what did you find out yeah the survey showed that uh 35 percent of professionals in canada said that traveling to and from work is just stressful so uh, 36% of them actually said that their commute is just too long, as you alluded to. And that's up from the 28% just a couple of years ago. Okay, so this is going in the wrong direction. People are feeling more stressed than just a few years ago from their commute times, right? You got it. Yeah. You got it. And there's different causes to that. It could be the additional factors, which include uh, the weather conditions, uh, the costs of of public transportation has also uh, risen. You get congestion and population growing. Vancouver is, uh, is sought after, after city, and uh, people want to live uh, around here, but it's causing additional uh, commute stress because people have to uh, live a little bit further in order to get to, uh, to work and uh, get the properties that they're looking for as well. Okay, now these commutes for people who are driving to work, or are there also people taking public transit as well? It's a combination. So yeah. people are uh, utilizing uh, different avenues, uh, but certainly an average 
commute right across the nation is sitting at 53 minutes at the moment. Uh, so it's a mm. big chunk. And over a quarter of individuals that were surveyed actually said that their travel time exceeds an hour uh, to and from work. Yeah, that's a big part of your life, sitting around in a, on the bus or even worse, like in a traffic jam, I think, and especially with the, the congestion we're seeing in Metro Vancouver. What, what was, do you have any take on on what, what it's like in our own region here? I know this is a national survey. What, what's the situation like in Metro Vancouver? What are you hearing from people here? Yeah, it, w- it w- didn't break down the actual region per, per province or metropolitan, but you know, we, we can all attest to, uh, speaking from my own experience, uh, living in the suburbs, heading into town, uh, the high level of construction that's going on, um, daily accidents that occur. We listen to it on the radio every single day. And uh, it causes uh, it causes stress for a lot of individuals. What's key is for organizations to be proactive in what they can offer uh, their employees. Okay, I know that's where you guys got your expertise here in, in uh, helping companies to deal with that. So, what's the impact of that? Like, if you got your employees are showing up stressed out before they even start working, does that have an impact on a sort of an office work environment? Well, it certainly sets uh, sets the tone. Uh, we've all been in situations where people are coming in and are complaining and are stressed out about the commute or, or being late for various uh, reasons. Uh, so it does uh, tend to, um, as a byproduct, affect their work experience. Uh, they become more uh, stressed at work. Um, you know, the way they're dealing with their clients, uh, their candidates in our industry, potentially, or uh, with their peers is, is critical. So the frustration can, can certainly cause long-term effects to an employee on their morale, performance, and ultimately retention. Okay, what can companies do for to sort of counteract that or to deal with it or manage it? Like what about maybe, I don't know, putting people on uh, swing shifts or something yeah. or, or sort of casual casual work hours or something? Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, so a lot of organizations are, are becoming a bit, bit more progressive, and it's not only a retention strategy, but it's also a way to attract uh, talent in the market that's, uh, that's really uh, has low unemployment. So offering uh, flexible scheduling uh, or staggered work times uh, certainly helps. Uh, so, for example, the traditional 8 to 5 might change or 9 to 5 may say, hey, why don't you start at 7 and finish in 3 so you can avoid that peak um, rush hour. Uh, also, telecommuting options, so having the ability to, to work from home in certain times and peak times, uh, again, will alleviate some stressful uh, commutes for individuals. Uh, other ideas has been uh, when organizations uh, have been pushing on uh, company-sponsored carpooling uh, for individuals that are maybe yeah. commuting from specific regions uh, within uh, within the Metro Vancouver uh, area, uh, or even offering subsidized uh, parking and bus passes. Uh, it might not be the actual commute, but the actual cost that's associated with getting into from uh, work. Okay, speaking to Mike Schickman about your morning commute to work and also going home at work. I mean, for people who are hitting rush hour going both ways, I mean, that's kind of the the double whammy. And it is interesting idea about flexible work schedules and carpooling and, and stuff like that. Is Is there anything else that employers can do to kind of alleviate this? I mean, what about advocating perhaps for better transit services or better highways? I think that um, certainly um, that is that's that's out there. I think that uh, organizations are are always collaborating with municipalities and uh, other transportation organizations to to help uh, alleviate some of that uh, pressure. But I think uh, that's more on the, on the macro level, right? It's from yeah. a micro perspective, it's what can you do as an organization for your employees? How do you? build those relationships and create an environment that allows them to avoid some of that commute as long as it doesn't come at the cost of people's uh, health and and also the the organizational uh, best practices. So finding that balance is key. You mentioned you've got your own commute to work uh, every day. How long does it take you to get to the office? So one office is about um, an hour, and another office is about 15, uh, 20 minutes. So Mm. uh, certainly um, I find that balance. But for me, as an example, I'm on the other side of the spectrum where I find commute relaxing because 
uh, I'm on the phone all day or I'm speaking with clients or my, my teams and that gives me the opportunity to just uh, relax and have a time where I can just uh, be present and focus uh, on the road and where I can go home and spend time with my kids and family. So um, certainly everybody uh, is in a different uh, position when it comes to uh, commute and, and stress. Are you hearing a lot of this issue, though, in, in Metro Vancouver? Like, do you, do you get the sense that it's getting worse in Metro Vancouver for commute times and congestion? I, I, w- I would say so. I think that yeah. the real estate market certainly, as people wanted to um, uh, move and maybe uh, invest in properties, uh, they've been uh, forced to move out of the Vancouver core, so to speak. Uh, so uh, there's still a lot of positions are held in Vancouver and the suburbs. Um, they they would have to move, uh, and and that comes at the cost of uh, of commuting. Mike, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Have a great weekend. You bet. That's Mike Sheckman, Regional Manager for BC's at Robert Half International. They're a consulting company. They just did this brand new report on Canadians feeling stressed out from their commute, stressed out before you even get to work. Let's talk about some of the labor disputes and disruption that we're seeing in our province right now. The most immediate one affecting people in Metro Vancouver, of course, is the job action by unionized transit workers. We see that impacting bus service today. Also, though, we talked about this earlier on the show, we've got schools shut down in Saanich near Victoria. That is a very large school district there. Thousands of kids out of school now for two weeks after after support workers in the school system went on strike. Think about some of the other labor unrest we've seen in British Columbia. Uh, we've got the University of Northern BC faculty on strike. We've seen legal aid lawyers walk off the job for a day. We see forest workers in a very bitter strike on Vancouver Island. Could this get worse? We already see the BC Teachers Federation. They're without a contract. We know they're not afraid to go on strike. It doesn't matter if they got a labor-friendly government in power or not. They'll go out. Here we go now with a lot of labor strikes and disputes around B.C. Are we going to see more of that in the days ahead? Well, let's check in now with Laird Cronk. He is the president of the B.C. Federation of Labor, and I'm very pleased he could come into the studio. Hi, Laird. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks a lot for coming in. Does it just seem like there's more disputes and strikes and, and unrest out there right now, or are we seeing a surge in this at the moment? Uh, well, there's certainly more right now than we've seen in um, the recent past. But, you know, it's not completely unexpected uh, that there could be labor disputes when you have such a large cycle of public uh, sector bargaining. But I want to keep it in context as well, Mike. Over 80 collective agreements have now been negotiated without a labor dispute in the public sector. That's about 70% of the public service or 250,000 workers. Yeah, and a lot of those workers, Laird, have settled for the government's negotiating mandate on wages which is a 2% raise a year and over a three-year contract, so two, two, and two. And yet here we have unionized bus drivers looking for more. We got unionized support staff in the school system in Saanich looking for more. Do you think that, is that fair? I mean, when you see so many other workers have already settled for 2%, why should the bus drivers get more than that? Well, I don't think it's beneficial for me to get into the individual uh, bargaining proposals of these particular unions and the employer they're negotiating with. It's better served to be negotiating at the table, but there certainly are, uh, in all of these cases, legitimate issues raised by workers. I mean, there have been 16 years of B.C. Liberal government where workers have fallen behind in B.C. and wage precarity, the cost of housing, the cost of living. It's not surprising that workers are looking for fair deals um, so that they can survive. Yeah. What's what's your message to this government right now? I mean, we see pressure on John Horgan to intervene, certainly in this transit dispute. You see the B.C. Liberal leader this morning here on CKNW saying the government should get involved here. What do you say to the government on that? Well, first of all, I'd say it's a bit rich to hear from the leader of the Liberal Party uh, trying to talk about labor relations, given their history of being found by the courts to illegal illegally rip up teachers' uh, collective agreement provisions. Yeah. You know, they presided over a four-month transit strike. So uh, pretending to be an expert on that's a bit laughable. But if we go to the government, look, they, they should stay the course. There's a labor relations board. There's rules in this province about how bargaining works. It, it, in almost every case, has been successful. Uh, hard bargaining sometimes results um, in labor disputes, but then there's immense pressure on both sides. There's pressure on the employer and the public 
realm, which is the government, um, to find a solution, there's pressure on the workers. No worker lays their tools down, if you will, lightly. I mean, they don't get paid. This is a difficult decision. It means there's significant issues in the workplace. The pressure on both sides, if they can't find a deal and it ends up in a labor dispute, uh, which is a charter right, I mean, at the end of the day, the pressure on both sides to get back to the table mounts, and that's how they find the best deal. Speaking to BC Federation of Labor President Laird Cronk, speaking of pressure, when we see the situation with the schools shut down in Saanich near Victoria for two weeks now, a very frustrating experience for parents with the school shut down by a strike. I interviewed a mom on the show earlier today, Laird, who told me she's had enough. She's pulling her daughter out of the Saanich school system switching her into a school in in the neighboring school district in Victoria. There seems to be a lot of pressure on government here to do something about this. I wonder what you think about the comment we heard from John Horgan the other day, who said that the union should just take the offer. I mean, isn't isn't that kind of Horgan sticking his nose in here? Well, I know this about labor disputes, and I know this about collective bargaining, and I've been been, uh, in negotiations for over 30 years in various ways and forms. It's best solved by the parties at the table, and it's best solved when they're sitting at the table. So I think we need to lower the temperature, lower the noise, let the parties get back together. There's significant public pressure and economic pressure on both sides. Let's talk about those legitimate worker issues and find a deal that works for both sides. I do want to say, Mike, when when, uh, previous governments have interfered uh, uh, and legislated back, for example, in some cases, what you find is they kick the problem down the road and they end up in a labor dispute the next time and the next time and the next time because they imbalance the situation. What we need to do is let the parties go through the process that's out there, the Labour Board recognized, the charter right recognized process, and then they'll find the best possible deal. Yeah, but what do you think about Horgan, though, uh, making a comment like that, saying, look, the way to settle this is the union should just take the deal that's on the table. I mean, you're the head of the BC Federation of Labour. Are you going to tell them to back down? You shouldn't be doing that? I think there's adequate pressure on the parties to get back to the table now. They should get back to the table. And I think the less noise out there overall to let them do their job, better off we are. Including the Premier, right? Everybody should dial this back. (laughs) Let them get back to the table. Come on, you can criticize the Premier. It's okay. Uh, Well, I'm, I'm... I'm telling you the best recipe to get a collective bargaining agreement so everybody can get back to work and kids can get back to school. We got an NDP government in power here that is obviously aligned with the labor movement. Do you, what is the impact of that from, from an organized labor's perspective? Do you think there's a lot of unions out there who say to themselves, okay, we've had 16 years of the liberals in power. Now we've got our party in power. It's time to get our share and they become more militant, increase their demands at the table. Is that a fair summary? I think a fair summary would be that workers fell behind for 16 years under the Liberals. They, they ripped up um, strong provisions in the Labour Code and employment standards that balance things between employers and workers. And I think workers are looking now, regardless of the stripe of government that's in power, and clearly the NDP government um, does respect working people. I mean, the changes to employment standards and Labour Code that we've seen this year, finally some balance after two decades is great. But regardless of the stripe of government and power. I think workers are looking to say it's expensive out there. This is, a, this is a difficult environment to survive in, and we need to make sure that our collective agreements respect people so that they can have a decent life. Right. right. You uh, responded earlier in our talk to Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson, who was out this morning calling on the government to show more firm leadership on these labor disputes. He took a particularly harsh crack at Harry Baines, the labor minister, basically saying he's been missing in action. Do you think that's fair? I mean, what, what's your impression of the performance of the labor minister on these files? Well, I think what we're seeing is a labor minister respecting the labor code that he presides over. That's the law of the land. And it says uh, the process for collective bargaining, which includes, if they don't reach a deal, uh, the ability for a lockout or a strike, which puts pressure on the parties, and then they come back and find the right deal because they're both feeling pressure. So it's wise not to interfere in that process, let it find its way. I know it's uncomfortable for folks, uh, and it's unfortunate that it has some effects, but you will get absolutely the best result by having the proper legal process take place. There's mediation services that are available. Um, There's essential service services that can uh, can look at things if they think there's problems. Uh, There's all sorts of tools out there, so I think it's wise of the minister. I think it's I think it's irresponsible of the leader of the opposition to 
uh, provide no solutions and just uh, talk about the problems. Well, speaking of a mediator, why not get a mediator involved in this transit dispute? The, the bus company says they're open to that, but the union apparently is not interested. Wouldn't it make sense to get a mediator in there? You know, I, I don't know the specifics of the, of the party's uh, positions right now with respect yeah. to mediation, uh, but I do know this. Um, there's legitimate issues out there. We've heard of transit workers who in an entire shift don't have the time to use the washroom and have a little bit of food. And that doesn't make any sense. You're trying to deliver safely and on time people in the transit system. I don't think the public would think that's a fair way to treat workers. So they should get back to the table. Thanks for coming in. Uh, Happy to be here. I appreciate it. It's Laird Cronk. He's the president of the BC Federation of Labor. Let's talk about a very special anniversary now, the fall of the Berlin Wall. It was 30 years ago tomorrow, the wall came down, uniting East and West Germany. The country and its capital, of course, were divided after the Second World War. And to stop the flow of people from East Germany into the West, the East German government, under the authority of the Soviet Union, started construction of the Berlin Wall in the overnight hours of August in 1961. 30 years ago tomorrow, the wall started to come down. Our own Nikki Reitmeyer now looks back at this moment in history, uh, including the people who were there. As the communist barrier between East and West Berlin grows higher and stronger, the more determined grows the will of those in the East to escape. Since the Khrushchev announcement that he would sign a separate peace treaty with East Germany, the flow of those seeking asylum here on the fringe of freedom has reached 1,500 a day. But from now on, crossings into free Berlin will be fugitive affairs. The Russians have told their people that the border was closed to prevent the infiltration of agents from the West. Never a word about those who fled to the arms of freedom, fled from the rule of guns and tanks and cast ominous shadows on the red side of freedom's border. Still in my memory, I can see the wall. I can, I, I know how often I was uh, so close by, like 20 centimeters or so, swimming in the summer in one of those lakes where that was divided by east and west. And you could hear uh, the megaphones of the, of the border control people from the east. You are now passing the border, swim back, those kind of things. Kurt Hoopner is a professor in the poli-sci department at the University of British Columbia, and he's a part of the Institute of European Studies. I decided to start my conversation with Kurt on the morning of August 14th, 1961. What did Berliners wake up to that morning? And when they woke up with a wall, something uh, that the former uh, government of the TDR was erecting in a kind of night action in order to secure their own nation state and their economy. There was the feeling on their side that too many people are using the kind of open border and are leading at this kind of modern terms to the brain drain and all the kind of economic and security aspects. And rather than offering that is an attractive social model in the TDR, they said, okay, now we shut the whole thing down and uh, the wall was there. In the time, 1961, obviously, a lot of people living in Western Berlin had their jobs in the East. And all of a sudden, they couldn't go to their work any longer and the other way around. So it was confusion. They're also pretty clear that's the kind of uh, one of the high moments of the Cold War at the time. The Soviet Union said they built the wall to keep out Western spies and fascists. Seemed more likely, though, in reality, the wall had been built to keep East Germans from flooding into the West. With the sides separated, different cultures began to emerge. Professor Hoopner explained those differences can still be seen today. Even though if you visit Berlin, it's now a united city, uh, and uh, let us say you're moving beyond the center, the Neue Mitte, how it's called, where all the museums are and so on, then out of a sudden you're really back in eastern Germany. Uh, it's starting from the houses, but also the kind of people living there. So there is still this kind of separation. This sentiment that uh, we see starting latest in 1961, we see the, the, the emergence, the growth of two forms of German identities. 
One man who witnessed those different Germanys in a very unique way is Bruce Allen. Bruce is the longtime music manager to Brian Adams, Michael Buble, and a whole bunch of other artists. He told me what it was like back in the 80s, traveling to East Germany while on tour with Brian Adams. We did play some shows in the Eastern Bloc, so we would go to Checkpoint Charlie, get our stuff through, go over to Leipzig or Mannheim, play some shows there. Berlin, when the wall was up, was a model city, and it drove the East Germans nuts because they would sit there on the other side of the wall in this dark, we, every, every time we were over there, it was dark. The street lights barely worked, no, no lights on in the houses. It was dark, dark, dark all the time. And they would hear all this fun coming from Berlin, and they, they, they amped it up there. So it would drive them crazy listening to what's going on in, in West Berlin while they're sitting there in East Berlin in this dreary circumstances. Meanwhile, you know, you could hear the music, you could hear, you know, they had rides going up into Ferris wheels and stuff like that up high so they could see people having a great time. And they really pushed it. It, become a, it became the model city for Germany. And I think that had a lot to do with the reason the wall came down. I mean, they, the Germans, East Germans just weren't going to take it anymore. It was just like torture. It's like when you were in Alcatraz prison, you know, people always said you could hear San Francisco. Well, that's a drag when you're in a cell. So the, I think the Germans, the East Germans, they just got sick of it. And I think they put the pressure on, you you know, let's get this wall down, which, of course, Reagan was up there, too, saying to tear down this wall. Behind me stands a wall that encircles the free sectors of this city, part of a vast system of barriers that divides the entire continent of Europe. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, Come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Two years and three months after U.S. President Ronald Reagan made that now famous speech at the Brandenburg Gate, the East German government stunned the world when they finally decided to allow travel between the East and West. Weeks of civil unrest led to that monumental moment. For 10,316 days, East and West Germans had been kept apart. But on November 9th, 1989, the wall began to come down. Astonishing news from East Germany where the East German authorities have said, in essence, that the Berlin Wall doesn't mean anything anymore. From the Berlin Wall specifically, take a look at them. They've been there since last night. They are here in the thousands. They are here in the tens of thousands. Occasionally they shout, Die Mauer muss weg, the wall must go. Thousands and thousands of West Germans come to make the point that the wall has suddenly become irrelevant. Something, as you can see, almost to party on. How do you measure such an astonishing moment in history? Thousands of East Germans came across the border today, perhaps more than 100,000, so many that border police lost count. And at every border crossing, thousands of West Germans there to say welcome. Such an astonishing moment in history. Now, what's it feel like to be standing on top of the wall? It's incredible for me. It's, uh, I can't describe really the, my feelings. It's uh, something unreal for me. If, if there is someone who, who sleeps for eight weeks and you told him what happened here, he thinks you're crazy. It's, it's unthinkable. And of course, the wall came down and we got involved in a concert. This site, right next to the Berlin Wall between East and West Berlin, is where Roger Waters, a founder member of Pink Floyd, will perform the classic work, The Wall, to raise money for the Memorial Fund for Disaster Relief. Waters will bring a cast of some of the world's top stars to perform in Berlin's Potsdamer Platz in the shadow of the Brandenburg Gate. And 450,000 people showed up. And that was an amazing show. They did the whole, the wall record that was done by Pink Floyd, that we performed the whole thing with different people taking different songs. And... Uh, there was, the band was there, Van Morrison, Sinead O'Connor, let me think, uh, Sidney Lauper, the Scorpions rock band, Marianne Faithful, Joni Mitchell, Brian. And Brian, I remember, he did that song, Comfortably Numb. 
it was a tremendous event. And and while they were doing that, of course, they were building up the wall and then tearing down the wall. And when by the time the show was over, the wall was down. That's the way they did it. But 450,000 people was quite an amazing thing. And we played right in that no, it was the no-go zone between the two walls. There's actually two walls between, there's a place where the East Germans had their uh, towers and that set up like a penitentiary. And then on the other side, the West West Germany was the same thing. And people, of course, some, as you know, tried to get over the wall and try and get to the other side. So it was a very interesting time. And it was really a thrill to be on that wall record. And it did very well. And that was one of the first times Roger Waters really performed it under those conditions, which made it even more more memorable. Here we are now, 30 years after the fall of the Berlin Wall. When you think back on that period of time, are there any other really special memories that stand out? Well, the big one was, of course, always going through Checkpoint Charlie, because that's how we got in there. And I remember, you know, you had to go into the inside, and they went through everything you had, and looked in your truck, and looked in your cars, and, you know, had mirrors going underneath the cars, and so on and so forth. That was always something, because they could, they could at any time say no. They could at any time say no. So it was yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir, from our side. We just nodded our head, everything they wanted, they got, and we got in there. It was really interesting. I still got a piece of the wall because we all got, we all rented uh, sledgehammers on the day of the show, the big wall show, and we got a chance to swing at the wall and to keep pieces of it. I got a big chunk of it in my house still to this day, as does Brian and, and most of the guys in the band. You know, you paid so much money for a sledgehammer, rented it for 10 minutes to smash away at it, and uh, knock down your piece, pick it up and there's your sledgehammer back and off you went and it was uh, it was something I'll never forget now if you have kids on your Christmas list you want to listen up because right now we're going to have a little sneak peek at some of this year's hottest toys in advance of the Christmas season and we've got an awesome guest in studio to talk about some of the great toys out there Megan Dejeuner, she is 11 years old, and she is the chief play officer for Toys R Us. Hi, Megan. Hi. <laughs> this is an amazing job you have. My goodness, how did you get that job? Well, I had to submit a video of how, well, why I should be the next chief play officer for Toys R Us Canada, and then I got a Skype interview, and then I got a live interview, and then I got chosen. Wow, that's amazing. So what do you, what do you have to do in your job? Play with toys? Yeah, basically. Wow. <laughs> what a great job. Okay, I know you brought a lot of really cool toys. We've got Claire Allen in the studio as well. Hi Claire. Hey Mike. Okay, stop. Don't play with those toys, Claire. Come on now. <laughs> it's very tempting. I'm very interested in all the toys. Such an amazing array of toys. And uh, I know Megan's going to kick us off with some with th- three very important toys. Okay, Megan, like. what do you want to start with here? I want to start with the Starlight Bear. Well, the Super Bear, designed by five-year-old Madison. It's a blue-eyed um, bear with, uh, well, holding a purple star with wearing a purple cape, and the proceeds from the sale goes to the Starlight Foundation, which helps sick kids across Canada. Aww. That's what I find really, really cool about it. Okay, that's nice. It's a nice. beautiful bear, yeah, Mike. It's got this really nice cape on it, very, uh, I, got, I would love this. It's very, very squeeze it, very cozy, yeah, very really cute. Yeah, that's awesome, and it says on the, on the uh, pod, Starlight 2019, so that's pretty cool. Okay. I yeah. like that for anyone that likes stuffed animals. Yeah, and there's two toys. The other... Two toys are, um, their movies are coming soon. So here we have the um, Kylo Ren's shuttle, which is uh, from the new movie that's coming soon, The Rise of the Skywalker. And it's all black with like a little bit of red and like it has like a dark side kind of look. And it moves in a lot of different ways. And there's six characters, including Kylo Ren. So there's like some soldiers and like the captain of the soldiers. So it's really cool. Wow. Megan, you know who is a huge Star Wars fan? Really? Not me, but Mike Smith. Oh, no. I'm like, I'm a big Star Wars guy for yeah. sure. Now, is this is this a Lego toy? Is this what we got yes, going on? Yes, this is Lego. Yeah. It's Lego. Yeah. It's really cool. It's like, it's huge. How big is that wingspan? It looks like it's about like two two or three feet when it comes. Does it come all the way down? Like right now it has no, this wing standing it up. It goes but. like, it goes um, a little, it like, it closes a little bit. And the wings, there's like a little handle that you like bend them. So it oh, likes wow. it 
folds. So it's really cool. That's cool. I mean, I'm really showing how my lack of Star Wars knowledge right now. But Mike, this sounds familiar to you, right? Like you know. Oh, what. sure. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> when my when my kids were little, my my boys are growing up and teenagers now. But oh. There, our next toy is making an appearance right now. Sorry. Okay. Well, that's okay. What do we got next? Go this ahead. This is the Elsa doll. So the Frozen 2 new movie is coming really, really soon. So here she's wearing her new outfit from the Frozen 2 movie. And yeah, and she has beautiful boots, actually. Yeah. It's like... Does she sing Let It Go? Is that what I heard? Or No, this is like a new song a that's new song. from the... I, I don't... Well, I'm pretty sure that like... It's 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 a new song, so we Is haven't like a heard sneak it yet. Peak? Yeah. Oh, so, so can we play it or no? Should we keep sure. it secret? Oh, here we go. Don't you know there's part of me that loves you, Okay. So you know all the parents that heard "Let It Go" <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of times. Now oh, they have a yes. new song to hear. Yeah. They have a new song with this yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, a new song. That's cool. Wow, that's okay. beautiful. Does that doll come with like different outfits you can put on her? No, or? this is like the only really, really cool outfit. Okay. But there's also other dolls. Like there's Anna, Kristoff with uh, the little Olaf that comes also with oh, it. Oh, cool. So. And so this is the new song called Into the Unknown, which is the original yeah, song from the from new movie. Too. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Were you a big there. Frozen fan? Oh, yes. And my sister is like uh, also a huge fan. We had, we used to watch the movie at least three times times a week I bet oh wow really, your dad's yeah. here with us do you think he he must know all the words from the song then yeah we, we all, <laughs> all our family knows like the whole song by heart it is pretty catchy I will say wow okay cool so now though we've got those three we've we've checked out those yeah. three cool new gifts especially the the Elsa which is brand new yeah. now what um what else can you show us Megan we have the also the Fortnite is really popular yes right and this is the Fortnite battling bus cool um, some people that play Fortnite must like I bet they know that totally it's, uh the bus that goes like in the sky and like drops the characters mm. so there's some characters that comes that comes with it and there's also the victory umbrella oh cool so, so it's a blue bus again yeah, with I don't like, know Fortnite just like I don't know Star Wars but this is pretty cool so it's a blue bus that has like a balloon on it yeah. right. and that's what drops the characters yes so any Fortnite fan knows exactly what you're talking about yes Mike uh, like, do you like Fortnite my boys played a little bit of, my boys are gamers, they played a little bit of Fortnite, so they'll know exactly what you're talking about, and for anybody out there who's played the Fortnite game, I think this is a very recognizable sort of a vehicle that's in the game, yeah. right? Yeah. So, Megan, who would you say this would be, like, what kind of age would this um, toy be, like, what kind of ages would this be suitable for? I don't really, well, it's just, um, there's not... There is, like, for example, I don't know. Well, I would maybe say, like, maybe to all the people that play Fortnite, it depends what age they are. Mm-hmm. But yeah. maybe, like, I don't know, 8 to, like, to whatever. 12 or, like, 13. I know some, more. Old, I know some uh, like, people my yeah. age that play Fortnite. Maybe I could oh, get yeah. this too, for I them. I know some, yeah. <laughs> um, like, my best friend plays Fortnite. I, I don't know if she still plays, but I know she played, and she really likes the game. Yeah, it's okay. such a popular game. Well, that's a great gift. So what's another one that you can show us? We also have Paw Patrol. Oh, yeah. And there's new characters that um, just, like, started appearing on the show. Well, the the series. Yeah. So there are the Mighty Twins. Okay. And they come in this vehicle. It's like two mo- motorcycles. And what's really, really cool is that they can... Um, they can connect and do a big car. Oh, cool. So, like, the two motorcycles can, like, connect and make a whole, uh, So, like it's a like a, a magnet? A magnet yeah. sort of thing? Oh, that's so cool. So, this... No, it's not magnet. It's like a plug that oh, you, like... neat. So, so, they connect together. Yeah, it connects. Cool. It's like... So a supercharged vehicle that transforms yeah. from a deluxe vehicle into a two-twin motorcycle. Mm. Whoa, that's and so cool. They're, it's blue, white, and a little bit of red. Wow. Okay, are kids still liking Paw Patrol these days, Megan? Because I remember every year here at CKNW, we usually get an opportunity to interview Santa Claus right around Christmas time. And I know there's a lot of kids love the Paw, Paw Patrol stuff. Yeah, like one of my uh, one of my friends, her little sister, she adored Paw Patrol, and they used to watch it all like all the time. So mm-hmm. it's really it's still really popular. Like I still see it on TV and like I see it sometimes. Well, I see it like almost everywhere. So yeah, it's still a 
big they have, thing. And they have the shows that come to town too, where kids can go see like yeah. the live action. That's you cool. know, it's so fun. I mean, it's like a boy who has like a bunch of dogs, and they save the they save the day all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's yeah. not to like? Totally, especially <laughs> if dogs are involved. I'm all for it. Sure, me too. <laughs> As we continue talking about some of the hottest toys for Christmas, Megan Dejanay is here. She's 11 years old. She's the chief play officer for Toys R Us. Megan, when you tell your friends that, they must be jealous of you. Wow. No, they're all of them are really proud of me, and they're like, Aww. oh, my gosh, this is so cool. So <laughs> That is really nice. We got Claire Allen in studio as well, helping to play with the toys. Hey, when duty calls, you got to play with the toys. Exactly. You know, right. I said you need some help. I was here, ready to answer the call. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> so what do, what do we got next here? We have the incredible um, Boppy, the booty shaking llama. Mike, you have to see. I, this is a, a very cool toy. Yes, so it's a white llama with brown eyes and kind of a rainbow hair. And what's really cool about it is, of course, it booty shakes and her head twirls. So I can't really show you right now, but it, you can hear the music she dances on. So. Let's get this party started. All right. <laughs> I mean, if you really want to get in the dancing mood, I think this is the toy for your whole family. Oh, yeah. Sometimes when you're down, you could just, like, put it on, and you're just like, oh, my God. Festive music. (laughs) That sounds like a good one for maybe a younger younger person on your gift list, perhaps. Yeah. Is there another song? The the next one, she, like, she she rocks it. Wait, I have to. (laughs) Wow. Multiple tracks on this toy. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, this this uh, llama's got some moves, Mike. I must say, I'm very impressed. I think this may have taken the top spot for me in this toy. Okay. Uh, this toy this viewing that we're seeing right here. Okay, That's Boppy. Awesome. Boppy the booty shaking llama. It's gone to the top yep. of Claire's want list here. <laughs> it has three different dances that can be learned. That's so cool. Yep. All right, okay. so let's move on to the next one, Megan. For all the fans of like Marvel Avengers Endgame, this is uh, the electronic fist um, of Thor. Yes, Thor, yes. Like I, I think the, you're right. Yeah. So this, it's there's all the jewels to like the, like all those like jewels so and the there's, Infinity Stone. Is that what it's that, called? The one? I that's think the, so. In, yeah. The Infinity, yeah. the Infinity Gauntlet. Ah, yes. Because right? Mike, you're a big fan, aren't you, of the Marvel movies? Yeah, I'm a nerd. <laughs> so yeah, this would this would be the Infinity Gauntlet from the movies that people will remember, yeah. and it's kind of like does it light up and it's electronic? Yeah, it lights kinda? up yeah. and it makes noises. So Ooh. you just press on a button. Ah, it's like you're in the movie. That's cool. Yeah. That's really sure. cool. So that'd be great for a fan of the movies of maybe. Oh yeah, any age. for sure. Yeah, totally. Sure. All right, let's. This is the one I've been really interested in. This is Pictionary Air, Mike. Have you heard of yes. this? Yes. No, no. Right, tell us, Megan. This is like a modern twist of the original game. So mm-hmm. there's no more papers, no more like cards. This is, well, yeah, there is cards, but this is the Pictionary era. So you join the air and there's a certain app you have to get. Um, so you get the app and you join the air and the, you can't see it, but the person that's um, with that has the phone or the iPad can see it. Oh, cool. So oh. Um, there's so, like... I don't like it's it's quite hard sometimes to like draw the paper. So imagine on the Pictionary Air when you draw on the air, it's really funny. That'd be really cool. I remember I played with my family and my mom. She is not quite good at like drawing. So like when she draw, she was like drawing like I don't know like a spider or something, and we're like, is that a potato? Like we didn't know. So that's really really cool. So that's really cool. So you're just drawing in the air, and people on the app can actually see it. Yeah, wow. so you have to, like, wow. imagine what you're drawing, and you're like, okay. Or sometimes you do, like, a smiley face, and you put the smile, like, like on the other side. Yeah. It's really funny. I guess paper's last year, man. you got to move on to the air. That's pretty sure, cool. Like, so that's a do game you, for the whole family. Yeah. Cool. Do you think that's an easier or a harder version than the traditional Pictionary game? Well, either one of them is really hard. Like, sometimes yeah. if you get, like, a draw police officer, like, going on a walk, it must be kind of hard. In, in the air, it's just the same. It's sure, of course, you can't see what you're drawing, so it, like, mm-hmm. adds a little challenge to it, but it's not more hard. I feel like it's a little bit more fun. Okay, cool. cool. All, right, All right, let's move on to our next our next toy. We have Beyblade Burst Turbo Slingshot. Ooh. It's uh, a it's a big arena with everything you well you can customize it for your battling style and it comes with some Beyblades and may 
made the one win. Oh, cool. So you play it with like a friend yeah. or a sibling yeah. and, and it's like a battle game. Yeah. That's really neat. Wow. Okay, cool. Well, that'd be really fun. Well, I remember when my boys were little, they liked Beyblades. So th- those have been around for a while now. So it's got a new wrinkle on it. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Okay. And then we've got this other one. This is for all the kids that are learning their ABCs and their numbers. It's the Leapfrog Leapfrog Leap Builder. And it's just a, a way to have fun and build stuff at the same time of learning. Okay. That's so. a great gift. So, um, Megan, I had a question for you uh, because I have two young girls in my family. One's 10, so close to your age, and the other one's like seven years old. And I'm really struggling to get them a gift this year, something mm. they could use together or one each. I mean, maybe use together just for my budgetary purposes. Okay. But um, what would you suggest <laughs> as a gift for them? Well, um, if one of your, um, is it your daughters? Yes. No. Oh, sorry, your niece? No, no. They're, in my, they're, okay. they're in my family. Okay, sorry. Yes. Um, well, it depends. Like, if one of them likes slime, here I have some unicorn ice cream. People love slime. I yeah, it's really, like, one? popular. So if one of them likes slime, there's uh, unicorn slime, which has, like, some sprinkles and, like, a the slime has, like, a creamy texture, so you mm-hmm. can add sprinkles to make, like, an ice cream effect. Oh, okay. And you have also, if they're fans of, like, unicorns and Barbies. Definitely, yes. Check, they, check. Here, this is the unicorn uh, Dreamtopia. Oh. So it comes with a Barbie with beautiful pink hair and, like, a gorgeous... Oh. Um, this would be a toy that I liked when I was young. Yeah. yeah this is a beautiful Barbie I with love a... It. It's, it's a unicorn that she Yeah, it's on. a unicorn with, like, rainbow hair. She's... A pink unicorn, and she lights up, makes horse noises, and if you give her that um, um, teal ice cream, Mm -hmm. she makes chewing noises. Oh, these are good ideas. Oh, let me like make you guys hear. Mike, this is the gift I would have wanted as a kid. Uh, Claire, I think you're scoring (laughs) big here. I think you're rainbow uh, mane. It's so beautiful. (laughs) Oh yeah, I think you're checking a few things off your list there. This This has been very very, helpful. And then there's this last rainbow surprise that I was very curious about, and Megan will explain. This is um, when my me and my sister because we are big fans of like big stuff and like super like example the lol surprise we're like big fans of like a lot of like right. stuff and this has like over 20 surprises and it's a big doll and she has some well surprises and there what's cool is that you make slime mm-hmm. and you well you make slime and then there's some parts of the clothes where you can put the slime in so it just makes a really like cool effect and it's really really cool oh wow yeah so the slime Ooh. slime is very popular yeah slime is really really popular <laughs> yeah. so I'm, it just like that's very cool so this is called the rainbow surprise poopsie, poopsie rainbow, rainbow surprise yeah. and so you don't know what you're gonna get and you could get it with yeah. the surprises in there's the box there's four dolls there's one with blue hair one with purple hair one rainbow hair mm-hmm. and one I think like a pinkish like reddish hair okay so these are all good um, options that I could buy for Christmas for I think my, it's yeah. awesome great job job, Megan. Thank you very much for coming in and telling us about all these cool toys. And these are just like a few of the hottest toys for the holidays. So if uh, they want to see more, they could visit our website at toysrace.ca or go to their local store. Yeah, check it out in store. Well, this is, I mean, this is a huge array. So, I mean, there's got to, this will be great. Anything I think that anyone gets out of this group of toys, I'd be stoked with. I love it. Thanks, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you bet. Megan Dejeuner, Chief Play Officer for Toys R Us with some of the best toys for Christmas. Claire Allen helping us out there, too. That was really fun.